Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for January, February and March 2013. Titled Origins, this podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 8 for February 16-22, to Jesus Provider and Sustainer. Sabbath afternoon, February 16. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're about to study about Jesus and the responsibility He has as the provider and sustainer. As we open Your Word, we pray that our hearts may be opened, that Your Holy Spirit will guide us, that we may more fully understand Your love, Your care, Your concern for us, and the wonders of what Jesus was able to do for us. We pray in His dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 Let's read that again. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19 God sustains the creation in such regular ways that the universe is sometimes compared to a machine that God left to run on its own. Rather than a machine, however, a better metaphor is that the creation is like a musical instrument that God uses to produce the desired melody. That is, he is constantly involved in sustaining what he has created. Nothing in the universe exists independently of the Lord. He created everything that was created. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John 1, three. Not only that, he is the one who sustains it all. Even more astonishing, the one who created and sustains it all was the one who was crucified for us. Ellen White writes in Education, page 132, The Apostle Paul, writing by the Holy Spirit, declares of Christ that all things have been created through him and unto him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. The hand that sustains the worlds in space, the hand that holds in their orderly arrangement and tireless activity all things throughout the universe of God, is the hand that was nailed to the cross for us. Sunday, February 17, The Sustainer. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians 1, 16 and 17. What is the role of Jesus in the ongoing existence of the universe? First of all, Hebrews 1 and verse 3. Who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And the second verse is Colossians chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. 
All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The implication here is that Jesus continues to sustain the existence of the universe by his power. The universe is not independent. Its existence depends on the continuous exercise of divine will. This is a refutation of deism, the philosophy that teaches that God created the world to govern itself and then left it to evolve without any further action on his part. The Bible rules out such theories. Also, God is not within the creation, constantly creating it, as in the false theories of pantheism. God and the universe are the same thing. Or panentheism. God inhabits the universe as though it were his own body. God is not dependent on the universe in any way. He is separate from the universe. He existed and continues to exist independently of it. The universe depends on God. God does not depend on the universe. Question. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6 and Acts 17, 28. How does Paul describe our relationship to Jesus? Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. And Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We are dependent on God's sustaining power moment by moment, day by day. It is because of his love that we continue to exist and are able to act and also form relationships. This is true in a special way for those who have committed themselves to God and who are, as Paul would describe it, in Christ. We can read that in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, which reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is also true that even those who reject salvation are nevertheless dependent on God's sustaining power for their existence. Daniel made this point very poignantly to King Belshazzar when he said, The God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Daniel 5.23 To finish today, with all this in mind, how do we understand the reality of free will and free choice? Why are these elements of our existence so important to all that we believe? Monday, February 18, The Generous Provider Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 shows that when God first created living creatures, He provided food for them, 
And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Herbs, fruits, and seeds were the food chosen for both humans and animals. Nothing is said of predation or competition for resources. The generous provider made plenty of food for everyone to partake in without any need for violence. What a contrast to the common models for existence proposed by evolutionary theory, which teaches that human life, indeed all life, exists only through a violent process of predation and survival of the fittest. The early chapters of Genesis know nothing about that. On the contrary, they reveal a world that was, literally, a paradise from the beginning. That's why, when the Lord had finished creating it, the Bible records these words in Genesis 1.31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Question. Read Genesis chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. What does this passage indicate about God's special interest in providing for Adam and Eve? The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We already noted that God had provided food for all his creatures, including humans. Now we see God going a step further. Not only does he provide food in abundance throughout the earth, but he has prepared a special garden for Adam and Eve with trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. The garden with its beauty and its variety of food was a provision of God's extravagant love and grace. It was a gift of grace because Adam and Eve had done nothing to earn it, but it was freely offered and abundantly furnished. As stated in an earlier lesson, we are far removed from the original creation. Ours is a greatly damaged world. Nothing on the earth, it seems, has been spared either. Yet, even amid the damage, powerful evidence of God's love exists. So, to finish today... A quotation from Ellen White from the Signs of the Times, March 13, 1884. Nature is a power, but the God of nature is unlimited in power. His works interpret his character. Those who judge him from his handiworks and not from the suppositions of great men will see his presence in everything. And so, look at nature. In what ways do we see his presence in everything? Tuesday, February 19, Natural Evil Of course, one of the great questions that all believers in a loving God have had to deal with is the question of evil, not just human evil, but what is called natural evil. 
This natural evil occurs when bad things happen in nature, floods, hurricanes, drought, earthquakes, etc., that cause so much pain and suffering, not just for humans, but for animals as well. How are we to understand these things? After all, if God is in control of the creation, why would such things happen? One of the earliest books of the Bible is the book of Job, where these questions and others became painfully real for Job. See week 4. Question. Read Job chapter 42. What does this chapter answer for us? What questions remain unanswered? Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had fourteen thousand sheep, six thousand camels, one thousand yoke of oxen, and one thousand female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he named the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapok. And in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived one hundred and forty years, and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died, old and full of days. Anyone who has ever read the book of Job came away with perhaps more questions than answers. The book does reveal important truths about the great controversy. We have those sort of things in Revelation 12.12 12 as well, which help to form a background crucial for us to even begin to understand the existence of evil. The great controversy scenario, however, doesn't explain every instance of evil. In fact, to explain evil would, in a sense, be to justify it, and we can never do that. 
The great controversy can reveal the grand issues behind evil. The motive tells us little, if anything, about each instance of evil. Job did not understand, and neither do we, when we face such catastrophic losses. Although God spoke to Job, he did not provide the answer to Job's questions, nor did he explain the cause of what happened. He simply reminded Job that there were things beyond his knowledge, and that he would have to trust God, which Job did. Our experience is often similar. We may not receive an answer to our questions, but the story of Job does give us important insight into the nature of evil, and it shows us that God is not unaware of the struggles that we face. So, to finish today, go back to Sabbath's introduction and read the Ellen White quote. How does that help us to come to grips better with the question of evil, knowing that God himself suffered greatly from it as well? Wednesday, February 20, Governing a Damaged Creation Question. Read Matthew 5:45 and Psalm 65, verses 9 and 10. How does God act in creation in order to maintain the creatures that he created? What does this tell us about God's interest in the created world? First of all, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And then Psalm 65, verses 9 and 10, you visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water, you provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly, you settle its furrows, you make it soft with showers, you bless its growth. We are familiar with sunshine and rain, and scientists have provided explanation for the processes involved in each. Yet there is more to the story than science can tell. Behind the scenes, God is actively providing for the necessities of his creatures. We may not understand his ways, but we know he is in control. Just as a skilled musician may play an instrument to produce music so beautiful that one's attention is focused on the music rather than on the musician, so God orders the creation so that we often see the order and are impressed with the majesty of the creation. At the same time, we may not recognize that God is behind the scenes, ordering events according to his will and intending that all things will eventually work together for the good of those who love him, as it says in Romans 8.28. Question What similar phenomenon is noted in the following texts? Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1. Exodus 10 and 13, and Numbers 11, 31. Well, first of all, Genesis 8, verse 1. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. And then Exodus chapter 10 and verse 13. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. 
When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And Numbers 11.31 Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and left them fluttering near the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. Wind is a common event, and we generally understand what causes it. But in these texts, the winds occur in special circumstances. We might call them providential winds. They occur at specific times and places and accomplish specific purposes. Though they may appear natural, there is an unseen cause working out the purposes of His own will, using features of the world that He created to accomplish His own purposes. In Second Kings 20 verses 9 to 11, we see one of the most unusual miracles of the entire Bible. The relationship of sun and earth and day length seems like one of the most stable and predictable features of human experience. Imagine the reaction of today's scientific community if a similar event should occur in our day. Yet we must ask, is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18.14 What this miracle and others should tell us is that there is much about the creation and God's actions in His creation that is way beyond our understanding. That's why it's so crucial that we come to a personal knowledge of God and know for ourselves the reality of His love. That way, we learn to trust Him despite all that we don't understand. Thursday, February 21, Provider for a Damaged Creation Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Matthew 6.26 Even after Adam and Eve sinned and could no longer enter the garden, God provided for their immediate physical needs. Sin brought a new need, the need for clothing. Adam and Eve tried to provide clothing for themselves, but fig leaves were quite unsatisfactory. Something better was needed, which God provided in the form of skins. We will consider more of the meaning of the skins in another lesson. The point is that God provided for their needs. Even though they had fallen into sin, this is another example of God's grace providing for us despite our unworthiness. Question. Read Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 to 34. What crucial message is Jesus giving us with these words? How are we to understand them in the face of the trials and tragedies that are such a part of so many lives? Matthew six twenty-five to 34. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are very comforting words, and we need to cling to them with all our hearts, souls, and minds, especially in times of great suffering, loss, and need. Jesus died for us, not for the lilies or the birds. We can be sure of his love for us, regardless of the circumstances. And yet, as we all know, circumstances can at times be quite appalling. We see famine, drought, floods, epidemics, and death all around, and Christians are not immune to these tragedies either. God does not promise his people a life of luxury without pain, but he does promise to provide for our needs and to strengthen us so that we may cope with our challenges. We just can't forget the reality of the great controversy and that we are in a fallen world. So to finish today, read Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. How could this verse, read in conjunction with the verses for today, help us to deal better with the harsh realities that we often face. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Friday, February 22. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 114. Yet men of science think that they can comprehend the wisdom of God, that which he has done or can do. The idea largely prevails that he is restricted by his own laws. Men either deny or ignore his existence or think to explain everything, even the operation of his spirit upon the human heart, and they no longer reverence his name or fear his power. They do not believe in the supernatural, not understanding God's laws or his infinite power to work his will through them. As commonly used, the term laws of nature comprises what men have been able to discover with regard to the laws that govern the physical world. But how limited is their knowledge, and how vast the field in which the Creator can work in harmony with his own laws, and yet wholly beyond the comprehension of finite beings. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Read carefully the Ellen White statement above. What is she saying? In what ways do we see many scientists today doing exactly what she says? 2. Modern science today is much better than it used to be at explaining through natural means why certain things happen, or why they don't. 
The problem isn't with natural means or natural laws, but with the idea that these means and laws are all that exist, that there is nothing and certainly no supernatural forces ultimately behind them. What's wrong with this assumption? Why does it make no logical sense? Ask yourself, from where did these laws originate? And why is that idea so contrary to the most basic teaching of the Bible? 3. How does the image of creation as a musical instrument provide a more accurate picture of God's relationship to the creation than does the image of God as a machine? 4. What other examples can you find in Scripture where God caused special events in what we would consider to be merely forces of nature? For example, 1 Kings chapter 19 and verses 11 and 12. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled Ministry to the Militia, and it comes from Noah K. Masima, who is the Adventist Mission Coordinator in the East Central Africa Division, headquartered in Nairobi, Kenya. Ministry to the Militia. Katoli is a global mission pioneer in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, the DRC. His unique ministry is to members of the military in the DRC. He has worked in several military camps and has brought many soldiers to Christ, even hiring motorcyclists to take military personnel to evangelistic meetings in their area. Recently, Global Mission Pioneers joined local pastors in the DRC to reach the people in Benai, a city of about half a million people located on the edge of a thick forest. Few Seventh-day Adventists live in the region, and the local Adventist mission planned to blanket the city with Bible studies and prayer as part of Global Mission's Hope for Big Cities program. The Global Mission pioneers met in Benai to go from door to door, sharing the gospel and inviting the people to take Bible studies. Katoli, true to his calling, focused his efforts on reaching members of the military stationed in Benai. He made friends and shared his faith with a number of soldiers. When evangelistic meetings were arranged, Katoli was asked to hold meetings near the military barracks. Following the efforts to blanket the city with Bible studies and visits, Global Mission Pioneers joined local pastors to hold evangelistic meetings in several strategic locations throughout the city. Katoli held his meetings near the military installations around the city. Many soldiers attended Katoli's meetings. When the meetings had ended, more than 250 people across the city of Benai made decisions for Christ and prepared to be baptized. One of them was an army lieutenant colonel named Sikaliza, who had been touched by the messages of hope and power in Jesus Christ. 
Sikaliza stepped forward to be baptized, wearing his military uniform. In his testimony before his baptism, he acknowledged the hand of God in his life and vowed to remain faithful to his newfound faith. Following the evangelistic series, Catoli returned to his work, where he reaches out to many soldiers, as many as he can. His goal is to provide Bibles and Bible study lessons to as many members of the military as possible, and he hopes to plant several churches near military bases. Your mission offerings help to maintain church groups planted by global mission pioneers in the DRC and throughout the world. Thank you for faithfully supporting the mission of the church through your offerings. This podcast of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired in Queensland, Australia. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, the Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is still faithful.